Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Barry Laubretz is a self-described health and wellness enthusiast, podcast host, and lifelong learner and teacher who lives in the Netherlands. Barry is an independent software architect and developer with a passion for computational sciences. Barry hosted his first podcast called The Developer Weekly, which is still available, and he is the author of the book, 200 Things Developers Should Know, which is available on Amazon. Alongside his professional career, Barry struggled with his health for a long time, and traditional medicine failed to help him. As a lifelong learner, Barry emerged himself in the world of systems biology and functional medicine, analyzing his health from a whole-body, holistic viewpoint. Throughout his journey, he has learned much about health, longevity, nutrition, exercise, sleep, toxins, and relaxation and recovery. As a teacher, he now converts his knowledge into content that will help his listeners feel better and live longer. He is the host of his new podcast, Improving Barry, of which I was fortunate enough to be hosted on in a recent episode. Barry, it is such an honor to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Thank you very much for having me. It's an I, honor. I told you I would take one stab at your last name, which I did early on, <laughs> and I, I did it very poorly, and I apologize. I tried my best. Um, but, but for the listener, I know you don't love to pronounce your last name on the air and usually skip over it. Would you mind pronouncing your name correctly for us? Sure. So it's Dutch, and it's Luibrechts. So don't worry if, if you don't get it. It's totally fine. I usually say, hi, I'm Barry, and then I just continue on. Well, thank you, Barry. And thank you so much for um, introducing us to that and pronouncing your name correctly. Is is Dutch one of the hardest languages to learn? (laughs) I don't know. Not for me. I grew up there. So (laughs) super easy for me. (laughs) That's lucky. But um, yeah, I think it's it's very uh, difficult because uh, from English, that is, because of all the the rough sounds. So we have the (laughs) and all that type of stuff. Wow. So that that just makes it makes it difficult because you know when you're American or when you're when you're English you just don't use those uh, words and sounds. Yeah, we're a little bit more basic over here in America. <laughs> we keep everything a little bit more simple. Although English is extremely difficult to learn for other people because there's so many weird rules and exceptions to rules, and nothing really seems to make sense. I only learned that when I moved away from the country and started trying to teach people in Brazil how to speak English, and it was impossible mm. to teach them all the rules. It was really challenging. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's more the exceptions, of course, that makes it so difficult. But uh, in the Western world, at least in the Netherlands here, it's pretty easy to learn English because all of the media, so movies, series, uh, audio, so music, it's all in English. So we learn from an early age when we start watching television with subtitles, we just learn American English, basically. Yeah, that's so interesting. Automatically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's great. That's a great benefit. We mentioned in the introduction your first podcast, Developer Weekly, which is, is is still available, like we said, and I was able to go back and listen to a few of the episodes that you did. And the developing side of things just doesn't really work with my brain. I don't understand computational <laughs> sciences very much. Um, but I did appreciate in some of those episodes, you could really see your health journey start to kind of shine through in some of those episodes. And there were a few that you talked a lot about health related to software developers and some of the challenges you face as an occupation, but it was really interesting to kind of pick up on how your life was changing and getting involved in health. So if you don't mind, can you go back and tell us that story of how how you started taking interest in health? Yeah, sure. So uh, for that, I go back to the very beginning. So like I already mentioned, I grew up in the Netherlands. Uh, I had a pretty normal childhood. And here in the Netherlands, everything is very much carbohydrate-based which is not a strange thing for the Western world. You know, America, the same thing. Uh, Other countries in Europe as well. Uh, But in the Netherlands especially, we have this thing called bread and we love it. So everything that we do is centered around bread. So when we start our day, we have breakfast, which is usually a couple of pieces of bread with something on it, like jam or peanut butter, and then a healthy glass of orange juice, of course, (laughs) or milk, for instance. So I grew up around that and that's totally fine because when you're young, you know, you can handle whatever food you throw in your body, basically. Uh, And I was very active as well, uh, running around, playing tennis uh, a lot as well. Uh, I was pretty fit. And later on, when I was a little bit older, I started to run more as well uh, and actually did a couple of marathons as well. Um, So I was always pretty fit. But I wasn't really health, healthy, 
And that's a big difference there. Being fit doesn't mean that you're actually healthy. It just means that you can perform well in whatever sport that you do and maybe recover from that as well. So through all that, uh, I grew up carb-based, basically, uh, with healthy vegetables and such, you know, the, the food pyramid that's uh, still in play in America as well and here in uh, in the Netherlands as well. It's kind of the same, you know, uh, whole grains, stuff like that, and then uh, lots of fruits and veggies, a little bit of meat, uh, and, you know, we're scared of fat, of course. But uh, when the years progressed, I got to feel worse and worse. Uh, mostly I had IBS, so irritable bowel syndrome. And for people that don't know what that is, uh, the symptoms are, are really not fun. So they're, they're pretty crippling, which means that you have uh, stomach cramps, so cramps in your bowels. And also you have uh, very irregular bowel movements, including diarrhea and stuff. Also, depending on what you eat and the level of stress that you have. So I had that. I had uh, skin rashes. I became very fatigued as well. And it just built up over the years. But I thought nothing of it, you know, because it, it just creeps in and it becomes the new normal. I thought, well, it's probably something that I eat or something. I don't know. It's... Who knows? Who knows what it is? So we talk I, about those things so frequently on our show. It's so normalized. And you're right. Like you, yeah. you don't think you're, you know, special because it's happening to you because it's happening to everybody. The gut issues, the skin issues, yes. the, 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 the fatigue and the, the mental clarity, like it's so ubiquitous. Yeah. Yeah. And this was uh, very early on already that uh, I had these like huge stomach cramps that the doctor actually was called in by my parents. And of course, the, the doctor, so the, the general practitioner, had no clue what it was, like maybe something you ate, who knows, maybe stress-induced. So just, you know, uh, best case, you get uh, some sort of relaxation medication to relax your gut, basically, which helps to alleviate those symptoms. But obviously, it's just uh, something for the symptoms, not for the actual cause. And that's it. And And time and time again, I went back to the doctor. And again, they just sent me home with, well, you have IBS, this syndrome. And a syndrome is something that uh, they, they give the name syndrome to things that they don't know what it actually is, which is extremely frustrating. And I didn't know anything back then. I thought, okay, well, I have this now. All right, so I just need to live with this. Fine. Uh, but over the years, it became worse and worse to the point where you know, I couldn't really go out and do things with my friends because then I would have a bout of IBS and would just be crippled, basically. Because you can't really be out and about when you have diarrhea. <laughs> that's that's the thing. It's uh, it's terrible. Um, so then I found out by trial and error that I was lactose intolerant. So I was used to just drinking gallons and gallons of milk, uh, not so much cheese because I didn't really like cheese, but you know, I would eat it on a pizza, things like that. So, and everything contains milk in the Netherlands. Even if you go to the supermarket and you buy a processed piece of, piece of meat, it contains milk to my surprise. Wow. Because the, yeah, they just inject that, for instance, in, uh, in chicken as well sometimes, because when you bake that, uh, it just becomes the same color as a chicken. Wow. The protein. I didn't know that. Mm. So, and of course, and lots of bread also contains milk uh, and, and milk derivatives that would still hurt me. So from that time on, when I knew that I was lactose intolerant, I was forced to look at all of the packaging from the supermarket and every, everywhere where I went out to eat, I had to ask, well, do you guys uh, use milk? Uh, well, and it was very difficult because not everybody knows that they use milk in, in certain uh, processes, for instance. No, there's no milk in, uh, in the omelet in itself, but yes, we do bake it in, in butter, for instance, which could still hurt me. Now, albeit if you bake butter, then potentially you fry all of those um, proteins that might hurt me, mm -hmm. but still, you know. So from that point on, then I got a bit better, but still I really wasn't there yet. And uh, then I started to work very hard because I then got into the software development uh, work, which you mentioned. And when you do that in the beginning, or at least uh, the way I did it, was to be a consultant, which means 
I drove around to our little country here in the Netherlands, seeing all sorts of clients working long days, uh, lots of commute. Although our country is super small, you can drive through it in three hours. Usually it takes like two hours to do like 80 kilometers because, you know, there's just, it's so small with so many people mm -hmm. wanting to go places. So that time was very busy, very stressful, uh, bad food. Uh, and then in the weekend, I would unwind with friends by drinking lots of alcohol, sleeping in, obviously having poor sleep then. Uh, and that cycle just continued on and continued on. Uh, and I just got more and more tired and felt worse and worse. But I thought, you know, this is just part of life because I'm working hard. Of course, I'm, I'm just getting up early to go uh, stand in traffic. Yeah, that's just how everybody does it, right? So yes, of course, I'm tired, right? That's just normal. Uh, and then at some point, I went on and on. I became a freelancer as well, but basically was doing the same thing. Uh, and then the pressure of the job became so much because it also involved politics and just uh, enhanced stress there. And also, I was just no longer doing what I wanted to do and what I love because I was never really a corporate person. I just didn't like all that stuff, you know, being in an office and what, what are we even doing? You know, I'm... Uh, creating software for somebody that looks at a screen all day for some company that does, I don't know what. And that just broke the camel's back. So then I burned out. I, I just literally had a burnout. Uh, I think uh, back in the day, they called it the nervous breakdown or something. What that meant for me, symptom-wise, was I had, uh, I thought I was having a heart attack, basically, but it wasn't because it was a panic attack. And I didn't know what that was because I never had one before. Um, I had those more and more. And then I just stopped being useful at the company. I couldn't do anything anymore. I wasn't productive anymore. I wasn't creative anymore. Started crying all the time for no reason. So I just had to go. I said, all right, I can't do this anymore. I have to go home. Uh, again, went to the doctor uh, with these symptoms also of you know, palpitations, things like that. Doctor says, well, maybe something with your heart, who knows? So I wore a uh, heart uh, tracking device, a portable thing that you can do for like a couple of days so that they can track what's going on with your heart. That was all fine. Uh, other basic blood work was also fine. Doctor said, I don't know. You probably have a burnout. Perhaps you can go to a psychiatrist because burnout is obviously has nothing to do with your physical body. That's just something that is in your mind. It is uh, psychological stress. Uh, I thought that's not right. That's absolutely not right. Uh, by then, I already uh, was researching a lot about health on my own because I, I just love to learn. As a software person, you need to keep up all the time. So you need to learn anyways. So basically that behavior of learning is baked in to my daily rhythm. And I was always uh, interested in health and wellness and how the body works, basically. So by then, I already knew something about the body and about stress and such. And I started to more implement the things that I knew and that I was hearing on podcasts, on videos, stuff like that. Because by then, podcasts were a thing and the internet was a thing. Um, and so I could just uh, find things out. And after then... I think another year of just muddling through and, you know, working a bit less, but still doing the same things, really. I went and found a, uh, a Dutch equivalent of a functional medicine doctor. And she was great because she helped me out. She just saved my life right there. So she uh, tested for lots of stuff, including uh, deficiencies in minerals and vitamins, which I definitely had, uh, especially uh, B vitamins and such. Uh, she also tested for heavy metals, which I also uh, had. I had lots of gut issues by then as well. So she did some uh, stool tests as well. Look at the microbiome, although back in the day, there wasn't much uh, that known about the microbiome, but at least they could see some things like, do you have parasites or how, how is it going over there? Do you digest your food well? Which wasn't the case. Do you have leaky gut? She knew about that, which I did have, by the way. An incredibly leaky gut, uh, and then also for food intolerances. And of course, when you have a leaky gut, that basically means that your gut lining is open and whatever you eat 
sips through it, or at least uh, bigger particles than supposed to be. And that means that your immune system is exposed to all that food, so all those types of food. So the food intolerance test uh, showed me that I was basically intolerant to all the things that I frequently ate, which makes sense if you have a leaky gut. Right. Because that all leaks in there. So, and then we came up with a plan, which was to not eat the things that I was intolerant for, for quite a while, to let my uh, immune system cool down and forget about those things as enemies and start eating the right things, which was back then (laughs) lots and lots of vegetables uh, and not so much uh, processed stuff anymore. So just eliminate all the processed stuff vegetables, uh, healthy carbs, like things like potatoes and such, and uh, also no gluten anymore because that was also on my (coughs) food intolerance test. And of course, living in the Netherlands, that's a biggie because everything is gluten, because everything is bread. So I was like, what am I supposed to eat now? No more pizzas, no more more pasta, no more bread. What's left? What's left, yeah. So it's very, very difficult. So the first year or two or so, I went... The, uh, the the traditional uh, gluten-free way. So, because in the supermarket, you have a shelf that's gluten-free stuff, which is all carbohydrates, but it's gluten-free. <laughs> so you have gluten-free cookies, you have gluten-free pasta, you have gluten-free bread, you name it. Everything that you like to eat, they have it in a gluten-free variant. <laughs> so not the healthiest thing, but at least it wasn't gluten. So after a long time there, uh, my gut started to heal. My symptoms went away. Basically, the IBS was uh, was gone. It took a long while, so uh, with some supplements to help my gut heal, basically. Uh, yeah, and then I just felt lots and lots better. And that was really, yeah, the start of me feeling so much better. Because after that, after I started, after I stopped eating the things that hurt me, basically, for a while. I was basically healed. And also that with that, my stress levels went down enormously because stress is not only uh, psychological, so not only in your mind, but it's also in your body, as we know. You know, if you do a hard workout, that's stress. If you uh, go do a cold plunge, that's stress. If you eat things that hurt you continuously, that's stress. If you drink lots of alcohol, that's stress on your body. That's the exact same response as uh, psychological stress. And all of that together builds up. And then, for instance, psychological stress can tip you over into a burnout when you're already up to here with physical stress from you know all the things that go wrong and toxins, things that you eat that might hurt you. So it, it's a combination uh, of those things. And yeah, from there, it went a lot better. <laughs> That's amazing. So I'm curious to know, you know, when you mentioned the getting, you know, bread and gluten out of the diet as being very difficult, like you're right, that is very difficult. And a lot of people would say it's impossible, can't be done. I, I can't do it. I love my bread. I love my pasta. I love my pizza way too much. I, I, I they, they'll tell themselves they can't do it. What they're really saying is they won't do it, at least not yet. But what, what did you think was your motivation? Was the pain that great from your IBS that you would do anything at that point and try anything? Or was there some other motivation that you had to be able to make those changes? Yeah, for me, it was simple. Just like you said, the pain of uh, of being sick was so high that I wanted to do whatever she said to uh, get better. So that was a, a great motivation for me to, to do so. Now, I must say, I always had a bit of a dysfunctional uh, relationship with food. As in, I I like food, but I also see it as a functional source of fuel. So I'm not really married to the idea that food should be delicious or something, yeah. which, you know, which might not be a healthy view on, on food, but works for me, ah, no. especially now. I, I like yeah. that. I kind of agree with you. Yeah. Food is so much more than just nutrition. It's a way we communicate and show love and different cultures obviously have different dishes, but you're right. I think for most people, food is like this event. It's this big thing and it has to taste this certain way. And it's like, 
you, no, you're no. talking about going out to lunch on a Tuesday. Like it's not that big of a deal. We, we we probably could be more benefited if we understood that yes, food can be all of those things, but our normal day to day food is really just our nourishment. As long as we're getting our nourishment from our food, we don't need to make it this huge event with all these different tastes and flavors, and and you know have have that be the expectation for every single meal. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so. I used to then eat, for instance, uh, salads without dressing because I was still scared of fat. Uh, and I knew that dressing usually contained milk or was something that I really did not want to eat because it contained lots of crap. So I would just eat a salad without it because, you know, for me at that point in time, that was healthy. And I didn't really care much if that was delicious or not, whatever. You just pour some sardines in there. It's fine. <laughs> Shove it down your face and just... Uh, converted into energy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, that's awesome. How was your performance at work changing as you were experiencing less stress and less of those physical symptoms, especially in the digestive system? Yeah. So uh, once all of that was better, uh, I also got more mental clarity, which uh, got me to the point where I really could think more clearly about the fact that what I was doing was not working for me anymore. So the work that I was doing was not working for me anymore. Uh, I was tired of doing the same little trick uh, that really didn't add much to the world. So I was by then I was a freelancer already and I was also doing uh, some in-person training. So training software developers in uh, certifications for certain things. And I liked the, the aspect of teaching a lot. And so... Uh, I applied to start teaching at this company called Pluralsight, which is an e-learning uh, company specifically for software developers. And, you know, all of my heroes already had uh, courses on there. And I thought, you know what, let's just try it. They had a page where you could say, try this. I thought, ah, it's probably not going to work for me because, you know, I'm not one of those heroes, but sure. Sure enough, I uh, got through and then I started to create my first courses there. And those things can scale without me being there, which meant that I didn't need to, you know, commute as much anymore. And after a year and a half or two or so, I was completely free of actually doing uh, freelance work where I would sell my time for money, but I would do this work where I teach uh, asynchronously. So I would create courses uh, and would be paid royalties based on how much they would uh, be watched or taken. And so, you know, uh, I still do that to this day. So when I started to feel better, I also uh, took that opportunity to then change my life, basically, work-wise, uh, because I had more mental clarity to do so. So, yeah. That's fantastic. I love that. What a cool story. Now, originally your courses on Pluralsight were about software engineering, correct? And it wasn't until later yeah. that you started to create courses for software developers that were with health and stress and burnout in particular. Do, <laughs> do I have that timeline correct? Yeah, that, that's uh, kind of true. That's right. So I started out to uh, teach about technology, so software and the cloud and such. Uh, but I always wanted to then convert the things that I've learned throughout the years, you know, all that miraculous information that made me feel better that the doctors don't even know about because nobody ever told me. I wanted to tell other people that as well. And I thought, well, maybe I can use my magic powers of teaching to convey that in, in a course. So uh, I pitched that to Pluralsight. And they said, well, you know, we're not really about health and wellness because, you know, we're about software development. So, but maybe you can have a business angle to it. And so I did that with a course. Uh, I don't really remember the title, but it's about burnout and how to manage and prevent that. Uh, because that's obviously uh, a bit business minded as, you know, people that work sometimes have a burnout and that hurts then their employer. <laughs> and so employer would be uh, benefited by having a course that would help their people not have burnouts. But I just used that vehicle there to sneak in as much health information as I could to talk about these pillars of also sleep, exercise, nutrition, uh, toxins, and stress management that I've learned about throughout the years. Because I think those are the big pillars of health. 
And those are then also the big pillars, like I just also explained. If you get them right, then uh, you alleviate the stress on your body. And so when you then have a stressful event, like for instance, somebody dies or your work gets extremely stressful, so you have extreme mental stress, then that doesn't tip you over because your body is fine. You don't have that physical stress from things that are hurting you or poor sleep or no exercise, things like that. So from that point on, indeed, I started to create uh, courses like that. And then I also started to sneak in some health information in my uh, then podcast, Developer Weekly. Because, yeah, I did enjoy talking on that podcast about technology with all these very smart people that know lots and lots about a certain technology. But, you know, to me, that doesn't really matter that much. That's, that's fine for a couple of people that want to work with that technology, but everybody's benefited by feeling better and becoming more healthy. That has a lot more impact. Uh, and, and when you do, then you can work way better on stuff that you enjoy, like those technologies or whatever that you do professionally. So from that point on, I kind of decided that I also wanted to teach uh, about health and wellness. And so I now do that also through the vehicle of improvingberry.com. And like you said, that's also a podcast and you were a brilliant guest on that, by the way. I edited uh, the podcast today. So I learned all of the things that you talked about again, because you know when you edit something yourself, you get to learn it uh, uh, in more detail. So yeah, so now I try to teach people about that. And then I will also create more courses in the future about health as well. That's fantastic. How was that message received by the software world? Like as you were sneaking in more tidbits about health and fitness, was that received really well? Or did people want you to stay talking mostly about software? <laughs> no, no, that was actually received very, very well. Uh, people want a uh, lot more of that uh, because, you know, they are the type of people just like me that just sit in front of their computer all day, often don't exercise that much, but do love learning. So when they then get to a point when they're 30, 40, they start having some health issues or not optimal performance, and then they want to you know, learn how to deal with that. And then when that comes out of a familiar face like mine, then that's easy to accept, basically, especially because I learned it the hard way, basically, and now can tell people in a concise manner how they can also improve uh, their health. And also I try to then do that by, you know, um, telling them very actionable things. So not big stories about how things work, but what you can actually do right now to start improving your health with simple interventions. It doesn't have to be this complicated, I think. Yeah, I learned that in your last episode of Developer, um, sorry, Developer Weekly, where where you you did highlight different things that you could do, but you you were like, these are the these are the main things, these are the most simple things. Find a really simple way to change. If you want to go a little bit more in depth, you could try these more complicated things, but start with the simple things first. I think that's a wonderful way to approach that. That podcast lasted exactly one year when you closed it with the last episode that was all about health. Was that your intention yeah. from the very beginning is to do it for a year and then stop? Or did you intend to keep that going and just your passions and interests just kind of shifted? Yeah. So the last one, uh, I intended from the start to just keep it going indefinitely, but then I, you know, I was doing more and more of these uh, technology episodes about a certain technology. And I found myself just not really caring about that technology. It's like, all right, it's super interesting really, but yeah, who cares? So I also started to then ask more uh, about the person. So how did you get into technology and why do you do this? And why are you interested? Because I, I find that way more interesting myself, the, the, the human behind the technology. But so I figured I, this is not sustainable. I can't just be, keep talking about these specific technologies if I don't even care about them. <laughs> That's not going to work. <laughs> wow. So I need to sh shift. So my passions there shifted, Jim. Yeah. 
Wow. That's so interesting. I was lucky. I got into personal training 15 years ago and obviously I cared about fitness and nutrition and all that stuff. But I, I have to say it wasn't until probably five or six years ago that, that my interest in nutrition really grabbed me. And I started to learn about low carbohydrate and ketogenic diets. Mm-hmm. And when that passion grabs you, man, it is a, a life obsession. And like the last time that I would ever listen to music in my car, the last time I would ever like read a fiction book, like oh, it, it grabs your entire life. And I, I don't often appreciate enough that like, it's such an obsession. It's, it's what you do on weekends. It's what you do in your free time. It's what you want to talk about with everybody. It really grabs you. There's something really magnetizing about it. And I think part of it is because it's so refreshing when you start to understand how that is improving your life and your health and everything just feels better. You just want to learn more and more about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It becomes a kind of a hobby as well, uh, but it does take a lifelong learner's mindset. So it's not for everybody because there's so much to learn. And if you look at uh, medicine and uh, functional medicine now, it's so much different than, let's say, 10 years ago. We know so much more now than we did back then. Uh, and also things have shifted so much. Uh, if you look at uh, social media landscape, for instance, and the messaging there, things just shifted uh, a lot, also in the way of diets. Uh, although things do come back, like uh, ketogenic diets. <laughs> it was back in the day already, and now it uh, it came back again, right. and it's very hip. Same with carnivore. Uh, back in the day, people also did that a long time ago, but now they start doing that uh, again as well. well that- so yeah, it's it's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting that in our world, there are so many journalists and people like you, engineers, software people who have a brain that's set up to look at systems. I think of somebody like Jane Reese Buxton, who you just interviewed, author of the plant-based con. She got curious. She's a journalist and she learned so much about nutrition. It's not coming from the medical field. It's coming from people who can think in a different way and see nutrition specifically, but also all those other lifestyle factors that you talked about and can organize it differently than it's being talked about in the medical industry. Somebody like Dave Feldman, who was also into the technology and, and, you know, computer engineer was able to identify how cholesterol works in the body and has a really important, I think very influential story to tell because he could ask those questions and understand things a lot differently than somebody who was trained in the medical community. Yeah. It's a fresh look basically because we're from the outside of the medical industry. We don't have the medical uh, training and some would say, well, that's, that's not good because you don't know the basics. Although I did now do the basic uh, medical training uh, to actually know about uh, physiology and uh, pathology and things like that. Uh, But still that different mindset really helps to investigate things further. So for instance, from a software development perspective, there you do a lot of diagnostics. So you type a couple of letters and then you try it out. Things go wrong and then you start looking, okay, why did things go wrong? Why, why, why? What is the root cause? That's basically your day job. What is the root cause? And that is also what we all should be doing in health, of course. So so whenever now something happens in health or with my health or with anybody that I know, I always ask, of course, what is the root cause? And no doctor asks that. Unfortunately, either they don't have the time, for instance, or they are focused on a specific thing like your arm, your nose or whatever. And and then they can just uh, prevent symptoms or treat symptoms there, which is a very sad state of affairs. But I like that this whole world of systems biology slash functional medicine, uh, holistic look at health is really uh, coming up in many, many different forms. So from a medicine standpoint in functional medicine, but also from a more amateur enthusiast standpoint, we see biohackers, for instance, or people that identify as biohackers. Uh, they do the same thing. So they measure as as much things as they can, which I also like to do, by the way, because I do love gadgets. And then they act upon that to improve their performance uh, and or to get to the root cause of whatever it's is, is ailing them and then try to fix that. So we're getting there. The, the message is getting out there. And now, especially with the internet and with programs and podcasts like yours, for instance, and mine, slowly but surely, the world is getting saturated with this information and it's getting very difficult to ignore for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and it makes it more easy for them to find it. So I think we're heading the right way, although 
the system itself, so the medical system, uh, the media, the whole world, the system that we live in with food, obviously that's still very money-driven and pointing in the wrong way. But we as a people, <laughs> we can change that ourselves. And I think we're moving that direction and more and more people are starting to you know, wake up and look at this type of stuff. Yeah. So I'm very hopeful for the future. Me too. Uh, I am too. It, it, it's tough to see the direction that the general population is going, but I think it's part of the pendulum swing that needs to go so far one way that it comes back and people yeah. can start to take more uh, responsibility for their health and understand what's really going on and, and learn about those root causes that you talked about. I want to I want to make sure we don't miss this because it's so important. I know you're an expert in this field of learning about stress and burnout. You also mentioned gadgets, which you love, which I also love. Um, that was a big part of my career is using heart rate monitors and health helping people understand yeah, yeah, different yeah. devices and gadget specifically for stress and burnout. What are some of your favorite gadgets that help you understand mm -hmm. maybe not even something you have to use forever, but as a tool, at least temporarily to help you identify areas of stress in your life. So yeah, a couple of things, I think a very sticky one as in uh, it's easy to use. And I like to use it a lot is the aura ring. Uh, I'm not using it right now. Uh, but that's a ring that you put on and it basically measures your sleep. But during your sleep, it also measures your heart rate. It measures your uh, respiratory rate. It measures your temperature. Now also it does uh, your blood oxygen as well. And most importantly, I think it does your heart rate variability. And your heart rate variability is the time it takes between heartbeats. Uh, yeah, the time it takes between heartbeats. And that is variable. So not every heartbeat is one second, one second, one second. It varies a little bit. And that variation depends on how stressed you are. So if you have a high heart rate variability, then you are not that stressed and you're very relaxed. If you have a low heart rate variability, so let's say 10 or something, then you are stressed and then you are ready to uh, fight or flight because that's basically what it's there for. So when your aura ring, when my aura ring measures that overnight, also measures sleep, of course, so I can see how well I slept. But most importantly for me is always that HRV number when I wake up. I look at that and it just tells me everything. It tells me how stressed I am, but it also tells me um, if something's coming up, like maybe I'm, I'm going to have a cold or something, or I'm going to be sick, uh, then I can see that a day before that my HRV is going down uh, without any proper reason, like I didn't eat something weird that hurts me, or I didn't do a super exercise or something that stressed me out more. Uh, so that's a very good gadget to gauge my stress level on a daily basis. And that number, by the way, is different for everybody. So uh, it's not like an HRV of 55 is bad or good. Uh, I can tell you HRV of 10, definitely bad, should definitely be higher, but it's very age-related, also gender-related, and very personal. But the Aura Ring does a very good job of personalizing that, and it gets a baseline of what it should be for you. And then it tells you how good you are doing uh, based on that baseline. So that's a very, very good gadget. You don't have to wear that forever. You can just, if you do it a couple of months, for instance, you can see what you're doing there, uh, how stressed you are. You can also use it during the day. It's have a special app that you can then use, uh, you have a little meditation moment, and then you can see how stressed you are during the day, for instance. Just a very good gauge to see where you are. Maybe you're not that stressed, or maybe you are, yeah. Hmm. I love talking about HRV. I think it's a wonderful tool that we can be using. Did you find that the numbers correlated with how you were feeling the more and more you learned about it? Could, did, 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 you, did you feel like the HRV numbers that you were getting from your aura ring were, were fairly accurate? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. They are absolutely very, very uh, accurate. Uh, I also had that uh, that uh, heart uh, device, like I said, at another time as well, with other measurements. And always when I have a medical measurement of HRV, it correlates beautifully with the R ring. So I think the R ring is very, very accurate in that sense. Uh, they do just a very good job. So, so that's a great gadget. I always love sleep gadgets. So the R ring also tells your sleep. I've tried them all before as well. All sorts of wearables and little things and bands. And usually they didn't do much or they just said, well, you just lay to your bed for eight hours and I'm going to guess how much of that was deep sleep and how much of that is something else. The R ring does that too. Uh, 
uh, I think it does a spectacular job of that as well. And it's easy to use. It's a ring. It's comfortable. You, you know, it it uh, the battery charge goes for seven days or something. So it's beautiful. Uh, another thing that was very helpful for me was a continuous glucose monitor. Now, this is not something for everybody uh, because it sounds very invasive. And it kind of is because it's a little thing you stick on, let's say your arm, for instance, and a little needle comes out from in that and it goes into your skin. And there it measures the fluid into your in your skin to gauge your uh, blood glucose level on a very accurate uh, basis, by the way. But why that was useful for me is because when I was eating healthily, or at least I was off of the um, gluten, I was having a gluten-free diet, basically, which was still lots and lots of carbs. So although I felt lots and lots better, my performance wasn't where I wanted it to be because I still had those uh, afternoon dips, for instance, uh, dips in energy after a big meal, stuff like that, because my meals were basically just carbs. You know, lots of pasta, bread still, gluten-free bread, but still bread. So I wanted to see which foods would react with me and which foods would produce which glucose spikes. And a tool like that is very handy because then you have an, an app where you can see, all right, I just ate breakfast with an egg and a couple of uh, sandwiches, let's say. And then you can see exactly what that does. And then once you know that, you are driven to try to change that chart, at least I am. So it's a perfect tool to create a sense of agency and urgency for yourself to, to start changing that. But also then when you start seeing a change in that graph, you also then feel better. And that is super important because that thing basically, and also the R-ring, it enables you to correlate what you do to your body exercise, sleep, what you put in your body with nutrition and how you feel. And that is a very difficult thing if the previous decades before you've never done that. And then you just wake up one day and you say, oh, I don't feel that well. Well, who knows? You know, maybe I didn't sleep well. So then you can start making that relationship. So those two tools were very uh, beneficial to me, our ring and a continuous glucose monitor as well. Wow, I love that. Okay, I've got two thoughts. The first is Aura Ring owes you a commission for sure. <laughs> a bunch of our listeners are going to go out right now and go buy an Aura Ring specifically. So they they owe you a bit of a commission, I would say, first of all. <laughs> and second of all, I would say the coolest thing that I've observed about continuous glucose monitors is I feel like I could give somebody a continuous glucose monitor, not tell them anything about nutrition, and just say, make this data look really boring. And I feel like most people would like <laughs> understand and would learn about nutrition just from understanding the difference between this up and down roller coaster curve versus like a really flat line and how they feel when the two things are going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very intuitive. So, it, and it's not when you don't have it and you just eat lots of stuff. For instance, for me, it was uh, when I ate uh, grapes, so white grapes, for instance, very healthy stuff like. Right, right. It's a fruit. Uh, so what, what could be wrong with that? But it gave me enormous glucose spike. And uh, after that, uh, enormous downwards uh, uh, throat. And uh, with that came also then uh, less energy. And I felt tired, <laughs> which I didn't correlate before because, right, I just ate something very healthy. So why would that be bad for me? And this is also very personal. Because uh, a banana does not give the same glucose spike for you or for me. It's very, very personal. So if you want to find that out, just try it out. And that does not have to be very costly as well. Because you use, uh, you can use uh, the Abbott, for instance. That's one. I use the, the Dexcom, which is uh, a lot more expensive. Uh, but it does do continuously uh, in, instead of the, uh, the Freestyle Libre one, where you have to uh, scan it. But it's just a very useful tool. And I think that's the biggest change that also happened for me is that I started to correlate what I did. So what I ate, how I slept, what I did with exercise and how I then felt. And now I'm at a point where I'm pretty sensitive to that stuff. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> maybe I can add another tool, which is not a gadget, but it is a tool to measure how well you are doing, especially metabolically. 
it's a bit disgusting, but just look at your poop. <laughs> How is your poop doing? So if I'm doing well, which I'm doing right now, for instance, I really don't need any toilet paper. I still use it, you know, because <laughs> it's a bit disgusting to not do it. Sure. But I really, I kind of don't, don't need it anymore. But when I was very unhealthy, I really did need toilet paper, lots of it. Yeah. So that's a good gauge to see how well you are doing, you know? Yeah. It's a bit disgusting, but yeah, it's part of your digestive system. It's a great point. No, it's a really good point. And I don't know if the Netherlands had the same shortages that we did during the pandemic, but that would be a very good thing to have during the pandemic when everybody <laughs> goes out and buys up all the toilet paper. Don't eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the same problem there. Well, <laughs> That's great. Wow. No, I really appreciate you um, helping us understand how to use those tools. I think it, I think we can get too wrapped up in technology and, and stop paying attention to how we feel. But I also don't want to discount some of those tools as things that can help people learn along the way. I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Fat Fiction uh, by Jen Eisenhart. Wonderful, no, wonderful no. movie. Um, a lot of the low carbohydrate people that I follow are, are part mm. of that video. But but what they did is they took they took three people who were on standard American, gave them continuous glucose monitors, and for one week they fed them a low carbohydrate, higher fat, higher protein kind of diet. So these people are eating eggs and avocados, eating lots of steak and ground beef. And they're like, huh, wow, I just kind of feel pretty good. Like I, I don't need to snack as much. I don't have a crash at 2 p.m. I don't need sugar. I don't need naps. And you're seeing their lives improve and they lose a bunch of weight and lose a bunch of fat. And then the yeah. next week they put them back on a standard American diet. So lots of oatmeal and orange juice. And you just like, you know what's going to happen this next week. Like these people are going to be absolutely miserable after, after feeling so good and having really flat blood sugar curves back onto that roller coaster. And yeah, they did, they did not do well going back onto the standard American diet. No. And, and that's a very good point actually as well, because once you uh, feel what it is like to feel good and not feel like crap, then it is very difficult to go back or well, not difficult. When you then go back, you're like, no, this is, this is not going to cut it for me. This is uh, unacceptable. I need to get back to my normal baseline because like I said earlier as well, I was just feeling like crap basically, but I didn't realize because it's so normal to feel like crap, but I did not know how crappy I felt until I was better. Like now I know what it feels to be healthier. Yep. And I know I can I can feel even better. Uh, and I try, you know, improving Barry. The podcast helps me to learn more little biohacks and tricks that I can use, more advanced things. But still, once you know how it feels to feel good, then you want to keep that. Yep. Yeah. It's very important. That's right. You mentioned syndromes earlier, and you've coined the term uh, feel like crap syndrome, which I love. I think most people can totally relate to yeah. that. And I'm glad that you mentioned your podcast. You are a great podcast host. Um, I experienced that when you interviewed me, you have a very thoughtful way of formulating questions and leading your guests down a certain direction, which I really, I love and appreciate. You also have a lot of diversity in your guests and, and people that may or may not see eye to eye on a lot of things nutritionally. Why was that important for you to make sure that you were getting all different angles and viewpoints, um, in, in the guests in your show? Yeah. So I'm just trying to learn. So the premise is, it's called Improving Barry because I want to improve myself. And in the process, I want to help uh, the listeners and or viewers also to improve themselves. And I do that by learning from experts like you, for instance, who I had on the podcast. And I don't care if it's an expert that is a vegan or a carnivore or keto, or I, I don't really, I don't care because there's so much... Uh, yeah, fighting online about, especially nutrition. Uh, you know, everybody can agree on sleep, for instance, exercise. There's also lots of uh, fighting online. I don't really care. I want to know what the best way is. What is the best way? What should we all be eating? What should we all be doing exercise-wise? What should we do with sleeping? Uh, things like that. So I want to hear from all sides because it's very interesting. If I only interview folks that are carnivores, for instance, low fat, uh, low carb, high fat people, then I get the same story over and over again and the same viewpoint. But I want to hear the other viewpoints as well, because there's value in that. Uh, yeah. So I, I keep it very open because I just want to learn what the best ways is. Yeah. I love that. I love that approach. It was nice to hear from somebody like Jane Buxton, who isn't a carnivore, but wrote the great plant-based con talking about the movement yeah. of plant-based, um, 
You know, you've had the doctor from Stanford who talked about, you know, the value of having lots of fruits and vegetables and lots of colors and all that kind of thing. You've also yeah. had some carnivores like me and Dr. Philip Ovedia who have different opinions about that. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you include all of it because you're right. We, we, myself included, I get really myopic about something. And I, I think that whatever works the very best for me is what everybody else has to do and they should be doing it now. And, they, they, you know, just, just eat a bunch of eggs and you're going to be fine. And that doesn't work for everybody. So I'm really glad that you approach it in that way. What other things are you excited to cover in the podcast coming up? Oh, in the podcast coming up, um, I'm going to talk about uh, butyrate very soon, which is uh, very beneficial for your uh, gut, apparently, and your energy level and for basically all the cells in your body. Uh, I'm going to talk to an expert about that. I'm going to talk a bit about more about exercise as well and strength training. I think that's going to be very exciting. Uh, and I'm going to dive a bit more into the cholesterol story. Uh, also, we've talked about that uh, when you were on my podcast as well, as you do the carnivore diet, uh, other people as well. I also now do a carnivore-ish diet, so I no longer do the uh, gluten-free <laughs> slash vegetable diet because still I found that I got bloated because of that. And like I just explained as well, my energy was still not on point. My performance, my mental clarity wasn't on point. Um, and then I found out also about this carnivore diet where you just basically eat meat, which is awesome because I love meat. <laughs> you know, who doesn't love a hamburger? Well, if you are ethically inclined to not eat a hamburger, I totally understand. But I do like hamburgers a lot and things like that, sausages, steaks. So I like that. I eat that now as well. I eat the occasional uh, vegetable, uh, you know, tuber like uh, uh, sweet potato, potato, things like that. Uh, pineapple, you can see in the background here. If you look at the video, I think it's in the video. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Pineapple, often has a, have a pineapple in my house and incredibly year round, there are pineapples in the supermarket, which is just nuts. Sure. But okay, I'll eat them. You know, avocados, things like that. Uh, but still, I was raised to fear fat, right? So that's still in me. It's still in me. So when I eat something really fatty, I'm like, yeah, it's delicious. I don't know. Am I going to die of a heart attack? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. But <laughs> So I really want to learn more about how that actually works because I follow also a lot of people in this space, in the low-carb uh, keto space, also on the other side, and also uh, the doctors like Peter Atia, for instance, who are a lot more careful with this type of stuff, where they you know, lean more towards the statins, for instance, to lower uh, LDL. So I'm not 100% convinced that this is not going to hurt me in the long run, at least. Uh, I think this is a great way to eat, to not eat things that are hurting me and to do eat things that are extremely nutritious and make me feel very well. So in the mid and long, uh, short term, this is just very good for how I feel and for my performance, basically, which is just what I want, right? And then hopefully I'll just drop that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and. My guess is that if I continue to eat like this and keep my inflammation low because of this as well, then I'm probably going to be good and have less chance of things like cancer, for instance. Obviously, you know, you can still get it from all sorts of places and there's continuous uh, insults to uh, the DNA in your body from radiation, who, you name it. So you can't get away from it 100%. I'm just optimizing my chances here. So. Perhaps I'm choosing cardiovascular disease over cancer with this type of diet. I don't know, but that's fine by me then. Yeah, I mean, that's a risk that we all have to acknowledge and and decide whether it's worth it or not, because a lot of the questions that we have, we may or may not ever get answers to. I, I love Dr. Peter Atia. I never miss an episode of his podcast, The Drive. I listen every yeah. single week. Um, and, and yeah, I... I know he doesn't like to get into the weeds on a lot of the things with like carnivore and still, you know, has his opinions on LDL and statins and things like that. But, but I appreciate that there is some discussion around those things and people can decide for themselves whether that's a risk that they want to take on themselves. I, 
I've mentioned this on this show in the past, and I, I, again, there's no way that anybody can prove that this is right or wrong, but I love the sentiment from Dr. Sean Baker, who says the best way to know if something is working for you long-term is how do you feel today? The best indicator for long-term health is if you feel good today, <laughs> you should feel good again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And again, how, how can you ever prove that? I just, I really like that. And that makes a lot of sense to me. What do you think about that? Yeah, I totally agree with that because what's the point of all of this, right? Why are we even talking about health? Why are we not eating the standard American diet? <clears throat> it's because we don't want to feel crappy. We want to feel good and we want to be able to enjoy life and have performance to do that. And the way I eat right now enables that. So, you know, that's reason enough for me. And also, of course, I have this big reason that if I do eat the standard Western diet and bread and stuff, I know that I'm going to slip back and feel terrible like I did. So I know what it's like. So I don't want to go there. So that's fear-based. But also now I know how it's like to feel great and thrive, basically, which is on what I'm doing right now on this, this diet. So yeah. I'm going to keep doing this and yeah keep learning more and then, you know, maybe adjust uh, accordingly. Yeah, that's great. I wish we had this way of life um, and the feeling of this way of life in a pill form that you could just give somebody <sighs> and just, just the, the pill is going to fade away after four hours, but it's going to show you what life could be like. And I think it would be a lot easier for people to mm. say like, wow, yeah, the soda really isn't worth it. The dessert after every meal really isn't worth it. Starting my day with orange juice and cold cereal. I feel better fasting than I do eating cold cereal and orange juice. And I think if people could experience the benefits of what that felt like, I think they'd be more willing to do certain behaviors that they think is too much for them, you know, when they're first getting started with this. I think uh, a way to administer that pill is for people to just try this, try carnivore. So not this is an extreme, I know, but like I said, it's an easy way to stop eating crap and things that hurt you. So do eat proper meat, so not crappy meat that has all sorts of hormones uh, and such in it. If you just try this, try this for a month, then you eliminate so much stuff from your diet that might be hurting you. And then after that, if you would like, you can try to reintroduce that, see what it does to you. Just try it, see how you feel. You know, you're not going to die from a month. You're not going to develop cardiovascular disease in a month. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So why not? You know, just try it. That's great. I'm sure you'll feel so much better because first of all, you'll get off the standard American diet and off of processed food. That's the biggest step right there. And that also happens if you go the other extreme way, go plant-based, for instance, then also you can, you can do that by uh, eliminating all processed food. So both of those groups will start to feel lots and lots better in the short term. Yeah, the you can also go the middle way, a bit of, uh, bit of plants, a bit, bit of uh, meat, but then it's, it's a bit more difficult, I think, to stay away from the processed stuff. Yeah. So why not just try it? Why not try something like this for 30 days or so? Or just, just take it two weeks. See how you get on. Sure. I'm sure you'll feel so much better. Yep. I love that. No, that's great advice. I love trying to get people to try it for a period of time. I think 30 days is great. Another thing I've been doing is whenever somebody tells me they're very sore, I'll just say, oh, well, this is a great day for a carnivore day. And they'll go, huh? What are you talking about? I'm like, dude, just get as many eggs as you can fit in your mouth <laughs> and eat that until you can't lift up the fork anymore and just see how your recovery is. And I found like a few people like, wow, like I, I recovered, I was really sore the day that I had the really hard workout, but the next day I woke up and I felt great. I think that's one way that people could try it. Just try it for a day. Find a day that you're really tired or sore and just, just have a carnivore day, go really savage with it, be really strict for that one day and then just see. If you feel great, try it for a second day, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good way. Yeah, but it's it's what you say, uh, you know, you want to try to make people feel very well because once their eyes are opened to feeling very well, then they're hooked. Yeah, basically totally. totally yeah yeah that's great you concluded our podcast episode by asking me a, a question that i had no business answering you asked me anyway <laughs> what what in your opinion is the meaning of all of this i'm going to do the same to you on our show you have to answer an un unanswerable <laughs> question we, we were just talking about meaning and and having you know health mm. and good health and and all of those things as part of our life but what what is the point of all of it 
The point of all of life, that's a lovely big question. Yeah, sorry about uh, <laughs> confronting you uh, with that <laughs> on my podcast, but I, I loved your answer. So if people are curious, they should uh, go listen. Um, what I think the meaning of life is, is for us to uh, learn what we came here to learn. So I am of the belief that, that we uh, are not a body, but we have a body. So we are an in, a soul or consciousness or whatever you want to call it. We're something else that perseveres after this meat suit dies. And so I think uh, we are here to learn something and then to float up on out of here into the universe and then transform into something else and do it all over again. And meanwhile, whilst we're here on earth to learn something uh, spectacular, also to enjoy this marvelous world and to just help each other, bring love and elevate other people so that they can also learn all of those lessons. And, you know, life is beautiful, right? I love that. So I was just uh, walking through the woods uh, yesterday or something Sun was out here in the Netherlands, which is uh, rare. And I was just thinking, you know, this is just awesome, isn't it? All those plants, who came up with that stuff? It's just beautiful. So we should also just remember sometimes to just stop and, you know, it's corny, smell the roses. Yeah. <laughs> just l- look up once in a while. Just appreciate everything that, that's there. because It's beautiful. I love that. I love that. Definitely a more eloquent answer than I gave to you. So I really do appreciate that. You know, as I was walking back to my house after training my client here in Salt Lake City, like the leaves are coming down off of the trees. Mm. It's just absolutely beautiful. You can just feel the earth like exhale and like sigh and like you you know the winter's coming and it's it's time to kind of bundle up and slow down a little bit and and yeah life is beautiful uh you know you just had a very tragic event happen in your life where your dog just passed away which is incredibly difficult but it's it's such a it's such an amazing reminder that all of this is temporary that we do have our lives they do come to a conclusion at some point and we can consider that to to remind us to take advantage of life and like you said just look around and appreciate the beauty that's around all all of us. What a great answer. It's been such a joy to have you on this podcast and and to listen to your content. I really appreciate the journey that you've gone on and that you want to share that with other people. Barry, can you tell people uh, one more time where you want people to go to find you and connect with you in your work? Yes. Go to www.improvingbarry.com. And from there, you can just find everything, the podcast, there's articles. Later on, there will be courses there as well. And from there, you can also see all my social media and connect uh, there. Awesome. Where are you the most active on social media? Oh, I try to automate everything because I really don't like social media because it just takes away my attention. So I put everything in uh, Hootsuite, which is a software program that just tweets automatically and such. Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm... Everywhere I'm on Twitter at Improving Barry. I'm on Instagram now as well. I didn't really want to be, but there's so much reach there. So again, I try to automate that. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok, even again, I'm I don't go there myself. <laughs> I just post stuff there. Yeah. All those places and YouTube, you can also see the video podcast as well. That's great. Awesome. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. And I'm going to look up that automation software. That sounds amazing. I also am not a huge fan of social media. It takes up way too much of my time. So I'll be looking up that. Uh, Barry, thank you again so very much for taking the time to be on our show today and share your journey and and all your learnings with us. We really appreciate you and, and really appreciate your work. So thank you so very much. It's been an honor to host you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, just to say, I really appreciate what you're doing here with this podcast and just spreading the word about health and wellness, you know, so that people can do something about it. So thank you. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate the kind words and I could say the same to you. You're doing the same thing and it, it takes all of us to do that. So thank you again for being with us. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.
As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We are also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Boundless Body Radio.